Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast edition. Today is Friday, May 21st, 2021, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. Hope you all have had a terrific week. We definitely have here on the show, and we've got some bonus material for you this week, a lot of great stuff coming up. In our first installment of the week, we're going to focus on our line opinion panel. We had some great discussions this week for sure, and uh, wanted to let you know, first of all, who's joining us at the line table. We start with regular Didi Feldman, a former state senator, also Crystal Ciarza of the Ciarza Digital Group, a PR camp and marketing uh, company here in New Mexico. Also, Dave Mulryan of the group Everybody Votes. And voting is going to be a big topic of discussion here on this week's podcast with the special election underway to replace Deb Holland in Congress. Uh, That's New Mexico's first congressional district. Early voting has been expanded right now, and election day is June 1st, but more on that to come later. We want to kick things off with what I know a lot of you are continuing to talk about, and that are... Uh, or that is face masks, uh, masks that we have all been wearing for months now as part of the public health order, uh, trying to curb the spread of COVID-19. Last week, at the end of the week, the CDC actually issued new recommendations that said people who are fully vaccinated, so two boosters plus two weeks, or two weeks after the Johnson & Johnson, if that's what you had, means you are fully vaccinated that you no longer have to wear masks indoors or outdoors, except in very limited situations, like in uh, vulnerable communities, nursing homes, that sort of a thing. Also, of course, schools will continue as they've been operating with just a few days left in this school year. We will see what happens in the fall. But the governor, Governor Michelle Luan Grisham, uh, and the State Health Department Secretary, Tracy Collins, acted very quickly within 24 hours of that announcement to indicate that is what we will be following here in New Mexico as well. Leads to a lot of different conversations. I know some people uh, left a little trepidatious by that announcement, um, even though they may be vaccinated or uh, really it has to do with people saying they're vaccinated, not wearing masks uh, when they aren't in fact vaccinated. But again, The CDC made the recommendations because if you are vaccinated, you should be protected and you shouldn't be able to spread it to other people. Uh, Of course, we're just a few weeks away from the governor's uh, timeline to potentially have 60 percent vaccination uh, rates here in New Mexico and affect herd immunity, which will be a big key to open up a lot of other things in the state. So some folks may be wondering why we didn't just wait till we hit that. But regardless, here we are. Don't know what you've seen. I've still seen a lot of mask wearing around. And in fact, we're going to talk in a segment about how some mask wearing may mean not going anywhere for a while. Airplanes, you think about situations like that. So let's dive right into this conversation on masks, something we've been talking about for the last 13 months, really. But let's kick it over to Gene Grant and our line opinion panel. State officials wasted no time in responding to the new mask recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control on Friday of last week. Health Secretary Tracy Collins updated the public health order to remove the mask requirement for people 
who are fully vaccinated in all but a very few scenarios. Businesses have now responded with companies like Target and Walmart removing their mask requirements as well. I think Smith's is in there too. But of course, schools will continue to require face coverings for the remainder of this year. So here to talk about what it all means are this week's line opinion panelists. We welcome back Didi Feldman, a line regular and former state senator. Also with us this week, Crystal Ciarza of Ciarza Digital. And returning to the panel this week is Dave Mulryan from the group Everybody Votes. Welcome to you all. I just want to start by going around the table, get at your personal observations. Have you seen a major decline in the use of masks since the public health order was changed uh, as you go about your daily lives? Dee Dee, let me start with you. Well, um, I do see many more unmasked people. But yesterday I th drove, th drove through Corrales and uh, stopped there at Flying Star and, and almost everyone was wearing masks. So I think it's, it's very mixed. Uh, and of course, I don't see inside of places, uh, which is what I think the concern is. But outdoors, even outdoors, people are still wearing their masks. Mm -hmm. David, what about you? You've been out and about. What have you been seeing out there? You know, I was actually surprised by the number of people that continue to wear masks. Mm -hmm. And I listen, I'm a proponent. I mean, you know, there's this idea in healthcare where you have harm reduction. And if you can wear a mask, and even if you're vaccinated, you know, we don't know what the variants are, where they're coming from. And, you know, as my mother was always fond of saying, don't ask for trouble because you'll get it. And, you know, the mask to me is not that big of a deal to continue wearing it. I noticed at the gym that people... You don't have to wear the mask, but any number of people were wearing it. But of course, you know, the irony is the people who are going to be conscientious and wear the mask are probably the people who are also vaccinated. And so, you know, look, I was a teenage boy once and I thought nothing could happen to me. And right. I was out running around doing things that you do when you're that age. So I, I but again, to me, that just says I can only take care of what I can do. I'm going to keep wearing the mask. And plus, it hides my neck. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> we all have our reasons. You're, 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 you're allowed. Yes. Crystal, you know, you travel in a lot of circles out there, business, public, private. What's the last couple of weeks been like for you on the mask? It's been, been very, very, very interesting. So uh, from the social sports side, um, golfers are definitely not wearing masks out there um, <laughs> just because of the open air. But when you're in the bar having a couple of drinks, you, you see that. Um, you know, definitely the um, city courses, the great city courses in Albuquerque um, and some of the private clubs have definitely been enforcing those mask rules. Mm -hmm. um, whenever, you know, our kickball is going to start coming up here pretty soon and, and definitely close contact. And so and a big part is the fact that it's, it's hard to even compete in sports with masks. So that's a big thing. Um, I had a really, really interesting conversation with my leadership group um, and a leadership group of, of other business owners. And um, though we try to keep things very confidential, I can tell you that a lot of us are still still a little confused on what are we supposed to do to protect our employees? Mm -hmm. How do we help our customers? Have we seen areas of business that are super flexible? Um, you know, uh, how are they defying or accidentally defying governor's orders? Um, so at this point, I think it's clarity that um, is is not quite out in the community at, from a from an administrative perspective or operational um, intentions. Um, so that's what's been really confusing about the mask part. But mm -hmm. I think if I was to, you know, take a, the personal approach, like I think about my mom, you know, my right. mom is a pancreatic cancer survivor and um, she was one of the first people to get the vaccine back in February. And, you know, back then she would say, 
you know, it, it seems really ridiculous that I have to wear a mask in 2019 to jump on an airplane to travel internationally. But now I feel like everybody's starting to look like me when it comes to flights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I, I'm with Dave and I'm with Didi. Like whatever's most comfortable for the individual is, is the right choice. Good so. stuff there. Didi, I got a question about the governor. You know, a lot of people were surprised, I think, by the state's move to lose the mask mandate after, you know, they held a hard line in terms of many other aspects of the public health order. Does this, does this prove what the governor has been saying all along, that she is following the science? Or would she have been better off waiting to ditch the masks until we reach that magical 60% vaccination statewide, which she had uh, been touting earlier. Well, it did seem like a really quick turnaround, mm-hmm. just in response to the uh, CDC guidelines, uh, which were also introduced quite, uh, changed quite quickly. True. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I think that she could have waited a little bit and stuck with the program that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been more comfortable if she waited until maybe mid-June, uh, which would have been accelerating the timeline a little bit. Uh, Senator, but, Senator know, I got I I to ask you, Senator, is that politically possible that she could have waited until mid-June with the rest of the country flinging off masks? Would that have held? Well, I think that it, it's all in the details. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are the what, about the indoor spaces, and mm-hmm. where are uh, where are masks still required, uh, and and who is enforcing the mandates? Now, businesses must determine who is unvaccinated and who is vaccinated, mm-hmm. and um, you know the honor system. Well, this is like falling back on the honor system. Uh, and the honor system, you know, usually requires trust. And uh, what we've been seeing is an erosion of trust, uh, trust in all institutions and in one another. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we could uh, we could see who was wearing a mask and who wasn't wearing a mask before. But now we don't know whether those people who are unmasked are vaccinated or not mm-hmm. and that creates a little bit of um a little bit of uncertainty i like that last bit it is uncertain with that idea david you know when you think about this does this change ramp up the rhetoric do you think or does is it you know the vitriol that we're going through now about masks will actually tamp down as one you know as one less thing about the state's covid response for some people what's your sense of it my, my sense is a couple of things. One, I think that the CDC, I think they were premature, but I don't happen to have a PhD in biochemistry, so I'll let the decision to them. But mm-hmm. but I also think that, that the politicians, and not just the governor, but politicians in general, the mask became a metaphor for how we were in the, this epidemic. And somehow removing the mask is, is meant to make people feel better. We've attained a big goal. I mean, you know, New Mexico has done a great job. We are number one in terms of getting people vaccinated. So I think that, and also I believe there is governor to governor peer pressure if one state is going to do it (laughs) then they feel like they have to do it california has said they're not doing the mask mandate or dropping the mask mandate until mid-june and they got quite a bit of pushback it's like well we want to get rid of the mask right now Mm -hmm. and so i don't know i'm going to continue to use the mask i would encourage people to use the mask i mean the thing that always caught my attention this is very strange we basically had no flu season because people were busy wearing masks Mm -hmm. so you have to say to yourself 
okay. So I'll just wear a mask and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a person in China in the 1970s and 80s and I'm wearing a mask for smog, but that kind of really has to get your attention. We, we simply eliminated the flu because people were masked. And of course they weren't getting together in, in all sorts of groups, but you have to say that can't be a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good point there. Crystal, you know, related to the mask mandate, of course, is vaccinations. We had to talk about that. Uh, UNM, as you know, released a proposed policy a little while back and it's taken feedback right now. But the draft proposal would require full vaccination for those returning to campus, with few exceptions, of course. You know, lots of places will be weighing their options here. But what do you think about the, that idea? Is it the best way to go you know moving forward? Um, it's, I'm, I'm not an administrator, so I'm not going to even pretend to answer that question correctly. But I will tell you a scenario that actually happened to one of the CRC Social Digital clients about two years ago. Um, was Lewis University had actually a canceled uh, graduation at main campus because of a, I believe, a measles outbreak. Mm -hmm. And I'm oh, sorry, mumps, a mumps outbreak. Okay. And the mumps outbreak was because of um, poor vaccination records on the education front or on the administrative front, um, the uh, close proximity um, to the area. And at first, uh, you know, back in 2018, 2019, when we heard of a mumps outbreak, we were going, what? A mumps for right. 20 to 21 year olds? <laughs> and this was it, and Lewis University was of course in Romeoville, Illinois. And then here we are now asking ourselves, is, is UNM going to be requiring vaccination records? But if I'm not mistaken, every school, every private institution that I've ever enrolled my son in, um, they always ask for vaccination records for the safety and security mm -hmm. of the students. Um, so, you know, if UNM decides to make a mandate like that, um, obviously the intention is to not disrupt the educational process because of um, human choice. Um, it's obviously to keep everybody safe, keep everybody healthy, keep the college university experience the same. And so if they decide to go through a decision like that, it's not uncommon, and, and like I said, the case in uh, case in point with Lewis University in uh, Romeoville, Illinois. Mm -hmm. So, Dee, do you have a thought on that, Senator? Interesting point, yeah, uh, Crystal I just think, made. Um, I think that colleges and universities all over the country are considering this now, mm -hmm. and they have a recommendation from the American Health Association that it should be a requirement. Uh, come the fall okay. uh, for uh, colleges to get back into full swing. And I think that, like, for example, the University of Colorado system is doing it. I know Fort Lewis mm -hmm. College is doing it. I know the University of California schools and the University of Pennsylvania also, uh, my alma mater, uh, requires, uh, requires, um, requires those uh, vaccinations. Of course, there are always um waivers you know if right. you have a medical condition uh and even if you have a religious exemption i think um and and um crystal that was probably true it's true in elementary school as well mm -hmm. uh so i think you know i think that it probably you know would be um a wise thing to do although i think it would be kind of controversial and it once again who enforces all Thank this you. stuff? Thank you. Yep, exactly right. Dave, I'm going to give you 20 seconds for a last word on that question. <laughs> I mean, look, let me let me sum it up. Vax or die. I think people should be vaccinated. I think institutions that are in a position to help us get more people vaccinated should do so. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's clear the vaccination, the vaccines work. We've seen this dramatic drop in cases. So sure, get the vaccination, require the vaccination. You're helping yourself and you're helping everyone around you. There you go. 
The conversation on masks and vaccination requirements continues online. Join us on Facebook or our Facebook page, Focus on New Mexico, and share your thoughts on the issue. We're back in a bit to discuss the special election in the 1st Congressional District and start of same-day voter registration here in New Mexico. All right, now let's dive into the election for the 1st Congressional District, this special election. Something that makes it unique is it's the first time that you can actually uh, register to vote on the same day you vote, same-day voter registration, something that was passed by the legislature in 2019. And uh, this is being used as a bit of an experiment with that. And uh, we wanted to talk about that a little bit, as well as just sort of turnout. There were some numbers released this week about turnout. And one of the surprising things is uh, maybe not surprising, but it's pretty low so far. That may not be so surprising, but for those who have voted early, it's almost two to one registered Democrats over Republicans. And we know that uh, there are more registered Democrats in the state than there are Republicans, but they're showing up at a higher clip even than the registration gap would show. So what does that portend for the election? What's behind that? Is it uh, voter fatigue coming off a, a very contested election in November? Is it uh, the ongoing conversations about voter integrity and sort of disillusionment with the system? What's behind that? We'd love to hear what you think about that as well. You can drop us a message here or you can find us on any of our social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what you think uh, about the voter system here in New Mexico, whether you believe in it or still have concerns. Love to hear from you. But for now, let's turn it over to the line opinion panel for more. Voting is already underway in the race to replace Deb Holland, the U.S. House of Representatives, and the special election is also on the debut of the same-day voter registration here in New Mexico. Lawmakers approved the practice in 2019, but it's being rolled out earlier than expected because of Ms. Holland's appointment as Secretary of the Interior early this year, as you remember. We have interviews with all the major party candidates up on our website at NewMexicoInFocus.org, but let's start here. As many states, including Georgia and Arizona, are looking to restrict voting access in the wake of the 2020 election, we seem to be headed in the other direction here in New Mexico, as this same-day voter registration shows. Dee Dee Feldman, State Senator, what do you think is behind that? Why are we so different? Well, New Mexico has always been very progressive when it comes to voting rights and voting access. Not only do, are we moving toward a same-day registration, but we have online voter registration. We have a very expansive early voting period. Uh, some states only have three days and they're trying to restrict it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have um, co voting convenience centers where um, you, know, you, can, you can go anywhere in, this, in Albuquerque and get a ballot particular to you. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes it very convenient. Um, and uh, we've done a lot of other things to, uh, to, to make voting more accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. We have used drop boxes um, out in rural areas where uh, the mail is uncertain. But this time we had a special session of the legislature and uh, county clerks were uh, allowed to mail uh, absentee applications to, uh, to voters. 
so that they didn't have to endanger their health by going to the polling places. Mm -hmm. So we've had a very progressive record here. We were one of the first states uh, to, to go back to paper ballots. Um, right. So it's not just in expanding the franchise. We're also, we're also tops in, in securing the elections. Mm -hmm. And after the 2000 elections and, and widespread doubt about the machines, uh, at that time, we said we're going to we're going to spend the money and we're going to go back to paper ballots so we can verify these things. And and we have. So um, I'm proud of our secretary of state right now. Uh, but but the ones that came before her too uh, have uh, consistently uh, consistently made it easier to vote. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. And there. the legislature sometimes has opposed that. That's I mean, a good they point. have tried to block it, mm -hmm. but they have continued. That's a good point there. I'm glad you got that in. David, you know, when you think about it, I mean, it used to be the Saturday before Election Day, you could either change your registration or register to vote. Now it's right, right up to Election Day. You can, you can right. walk into the, in the place, sign up, bring your paperwork, do whatever you need to do, and you can vote that day and get registered that day and right. vote. It's a huge change when you think about I mean, it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a huge change, but also I think credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. We have politicians from both sides of the aisle. We have had political will in this state that has said voting is important. We should make it accessible. We've had Spanish language ballots. Do not underestimate the ability of people like Daniel Ivy Soto has been a tremendous, he understood, written the legislation. They tend to always get it right. But also I think that there, you know, there's something in the air that says voting is important. We need to get everybody registered. We want them to vote. And I think you have to credit, you know, the county clerks all over the state have been tremendous helpful in making sure that everybody knows come to my office and I'll register you to vote. There's been a lot of groups that have run around and registered voters. I've got teachers at high schools who make it their mission to make sure that their kids are registered to vote when they turn 18 or mm -hmm. when they turn 17 that they could do it. So I mean it's a lot of individuals that have collectively said we like voting, we think voting is important. Do not underestimate the psychology of voting is a good thing. And I think and and honestly I'm going to tell you that I think the the other uh, parties in the different states that are trying to limit voting, it's going to backfire because in some ways they are creating a, an environment where when you tell people they can't do something, then they immediately want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that restrictive voting is not a good idea. Good point. I love that. <laughs> Crystal, you know, we got some insight this week into early voting turnout, registered Democratic voters outpacing Republican voters by a two to one margin. In fact, the gap in Democrats voting early is outpacing the registration gap between the two parties. You know, what do you think explains that difference? Why, what is it about Democrats that have embraced early voting, but Republicans still seem to not quite get there with this? I don't know if it's a matter of whether or not Democrats have embraced early voting. We mm -hmm. just have to look at the demographics of the area that CD1 is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the last time we had somebody in the Republican seat was maybe Heather Wilson in right. like the early 2000s. 2006. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, and so like, I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree that um, Democrats are, are obviously understanding voting, voting rights, you know, their, their interpretation of democracy is so different, obviously from Republicans. That's why we have the two party system. Mm -hmm. But at the, at the end of the day, we have to think about what, um, what is the population of CD1 and, and it always, always skews 
blue. Like you can even look to the mayoral races that are not supposed to be partisan. They always skew blue. And so um, I, I and it's funny too to, to kind of go back to the topic that you were talking mm -hmm. about, about voting rights, voter registration, et cetera. My first job was for the New Voters Project, a nonprofit that would register young people to mm -hmm. vote. And the conversations that we had back in 2005, yes, I'm that old, that in 2005, when we were registering people to, to vote at 18 to 21, uh, we would go to places that they would be like Pride or parties or Central where right. um, people, people would all hang out. But the same issues that we're having now are the same issues we had back then. It's access to voting and making sure we register people on time, making sure that they don't need an ID to um, access a, a ballot of some sort, understanding what a, a ballot looks like and how a properly marked um, a properly marked circle needs to be mm -hmm. counted as a vote. That's right. All the issues that we're running into now, it's it, it seems like monumental change in New Mexico, but they're changes that have been slowly but surely happening over the last mm. decade or two. Mm, good point there. Senator, turnout still pretty low overall, about 4% on Monday of this week, which is not unusual for a special, certainly, but has all the rhetoric about voting integrity come home to roost for you? Is it, what's going on right now in this moment? No, I, I think that we're going to have a low turnout in this election, mm -hmm. but the whole story isn't in. There are 15,000 people who have requested absentee ballots mm -hmm. and ha who have not yet voted. So, um, you know, at, this is the big trend now that we have seen this year, and that is the huge, huge uptick in the use of absentee ballots. Uh -huh. uh, yes, uh, early voting is important, but the what marked this year and what mostly irked the people that lost in these states where they're trying to restrict absentee ballots is the use of absentee ballots. It used to be a Republican thing. Republicans were always better at absentees and, and they skewed toward the older voters, right. the military voters. Mm -hmm. But now um, many more people are using them because of the pandemic. And that's a trend that's going to continue. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I work uh, part-time for Common Cause New Mexico, and we did a lot of work uh, during the general uh, teaching people how to vote absentee uh, because it's different than voting in person. Mm -hmm. And you can screw up. Mm -hmm. um, and what do you do if you screw up? Those are all questions that people had. Um, but I think that... Um, I think we're going to continue to see people want to vote, um, both Democrats and Republicans. It's the foundation of democracy. And yes, I think people are rebelling when barriers are put up there mm -hmm. uh, unnecessarily. It's so obvious yeah. uh, to people. Mm -hmm. Gene, I, I do want to ask the question, though, to all of us, like how much of voting turnout is actually because it's not a presidential election That's year right. or it's not a gubernatorial? I mean, I don't know what the statistics are, Didi, but I mean, don't we, there's got to be something that says like special elections just historically have a low turnout because people forget Absolutely. that there's a turnout. Absolutely. Right. And I think that you're really lucky if you get a 20 percent turnout mm -hmm. uh, in a special election it, it, and also 
in a mayoral election. That's right. It's, it's usually low. That's right. David, yeah. uh, you know, Bernalillo County Clerk Linda Stover told me in a Facebook Live discussion earlier this week on Wednesday that New Mexico has some of the most secure election systems in the country. She mentioned paper ballots that Senator mentioned just a bit ago. Do you think that's the general consensus among voters right now or? I mean, I, I think it, I think that the voters are very confident in New Mexico's abilities to handle good elections. And, you know, you know, people do. People aren't stupid. I mean, this idea that, that the election was stolen going back six or seven months, if you saw what was happening in Arizona, I mean, even the people that were sort of, you know, you know, supporting it, they're saying, OK, this is over. We have to do it. You know, you do not want to overplay your hand. I mean, 17,000 different entities touch voters voting in this country. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that there could be a conspiracy and that you can somehow throw an election, it's not possible. But I will say Linda Stover and Maggie Toulouse-Oliver, the Secretary of State, New Mexico has a good reputation for voting because they've worked at it. I mean, when they, they weren't going to stick with the machines, they said we, we felt there was some question about whether machines were safe. They simply pitched it and they said they were, the integrity of the, these elections are good. They've worked at it. And to, to and also, I think the state legislature could be a little bit more generous with giving these county clerks more money to run mm -hmm. elections and everything. But I also think that the state parties could be a little bit better about saying, I don't care if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're something in between. They need to encourage voting also. We That's need right. the entire course saying, get out and vote. You know, it is this the 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 sort of the dues you pay for living in a democracy. Everybody needs to push voting without a doubt. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that, Dave. And that's going to do it for now. But we'd love to hear what you think about early voting and all the opinions you just heard about New Mexico's election system. Just drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram by searching for at New Mexico in focus. There are some questions about the same-day voter registration issue as well as the special election in general. We haven't had one of these in nearly 20 years. It's a rare occurrence. And so I want to bring you a Facebook Live that our host, Gene Grant, conducted this week with Bernalillo County Clerk Linda Stover talking all about this special election, everything you need to know if you are in CD1 and want to make your voice heard. So let's send it right back to Gene Grant, as well as our special guest, Linda Stover, the Bernalillo County Clerk. We have a special election coming up on June 1st. You may have heard, I hope you have, <laughs> if you haven't, if this is news to you, we're gonna get you all squared away here. We need your participation. To replace Deb Holland, who has been named Interior Secretary, as you know, we have opponents running for the seat right now. And Voting is on right now. So we welcome Madam Clerk, Linda Stover. Thank you very much for coming in. Now we've got a couple, couple of interesting new things going on now. Take us through the basics right now when it comes to same day registration. That's the big thing out there right now. What do folks need to know? Same day registration. If you are a new registrar, if you're brand new, you'll need to take a form of identification, your driver's license, your passport, proof of where you live, a rent receipt with your name on it, a P&M bill, any kind of a utility bill, a phone bill, anything that proves that you are Gene Grant and you live here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you can register. If you're just updating or changing your name, mm -hmm. they'll have you in the voter file. You'll go in, identify yourself, they'll find you, you do your updates, and then you'll do it. Now, the trick to that is that you also have to vote. Uh -huh. You can't just go in and register. You have to stay and vote. 
I didn't realize that. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of folks, I never would have thought they would do that, wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a trick there. Yeah. We got you. You got to vote. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let's go to the second part. I fit under that category. My address has been uh, a couple generations back. Whenever I go in to vote, I never really think to, you know, take that next step the next morning and call down to the clerk's office and get that all straightened out. This is an interesting opportunity, isn't it? Because you folks need to have up-to-date roles for addresses and stuff from all of us, I would think. Well, especially for this election, because not all of Burnley County is in CD1. Right. We share this election with all of Torrance, some of Sandoval, some of Valencia, and some of Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. So if you live along the edges of Burnley County, you may or may not be in CD1. Um, so you need to go to your clerk's page, check your voter file, and see if CD1 is actually your congressional district. That's a point. That is a point. When people look at the map, they're often surprised. They think it's, they, they don't realize it's not as Albuquerque specific right. as, as they think it Early is. It's not County, the city yeah. limits at all. It's so, yeah, you mentioned Torrance and other counties for sure. Um, so what's the process there? You know, again, if you have to get in contact with your clerk, what should, what should you be prepared to ask if you, if you call your clerk? Well, just get, tell them who you are and your address and they can lead you, but go to your clerk's webpage. You can do it, lickety split. Okay. You can go to your clerk's webpage and it'll say my voter information. Click on that, type in your name and it'll take you right to your voter information. Good deal. Easy Let's talk about, oh, oh, sorry about that. Wait a minute, cut you off there. My fault there. Um, early voting, uh, we have a number of locations. How does that work? How does one find where the closest location is, is to them in the district? All right, they're on, it's on our webpage in Bernalillo County. You can go to burncovotes.org and you'll find our polling locations. We have 18. You'll need to look at your county clerk's page if you're in one of the other counties. Mm -hmm. Our hours are 10 to seven. Each clerk can set their own hours for their early voting. So if you're in Sandoval or Torrance or someplace else, it might be eight to five. It might be seven to seven, whatever, but early voting can be different hours in different counties. Mm -hmm. Here it's 10 to seven. Gotcha. You've been very strong on Facebook, Madam Clerk, the last couple of days about the need to get out and vote very simply. Um, why is it that folks don't come out for special elections as often? I mean, there's an obvious answer. It's not as much in the air as it is during a general. But wh how, why do you think, in your opinion, folks don't come out for special elections as much as they do? I don't think they should. understand special elections because this is the first time this has happened in 10 years. Right. The last time is when Congressman Schiff passed away and we had to fill his position. Also, Bill Richardson went to the Department of Energy. We had to fill his position. So this is not a normal election. It's not in rotation of governors and presidents and congressional people. It's mm -hmm. a special election just for that seat. And in New Mexico, we only have three congressional people. It is so darn important to have somebody represent us right here in the middle of the state where the primary population is you need to find one of those people that you agree with that kind of feels like you feel and vote for them. That way you can't gripe if you don't vote. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and for Congress, it's critical. Not that any governmental seat is not, but we're talking a lot of things happen from our congressional representative. I mean, it's so critical in a time, especially coming out of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different ways money's moving around. We've got all this information now about what did or didn't happen for us in the census this past 10 years are gonna have yes. a lot of decisions, right? A lot of critically important that folks make an informed vote for this congressional seat for our future right here in Albuquerque, it seems to me. So 
I, I, I'm with it you, is. Madam Clerk. <laughs> I'm, I'm really asking people to consider looking at this real strongly. And we just came out of an election. We still are just getting over a pandemic. So I understand the fatigue, but right. this is so, so, so important. Mm -hmm. I got another last question for you. It, it, I saw an interesting quote from you uh, when the idea of same day registration was happening that what, what's, what's actually happened is the tech in your office is at the point now where these things can be checked, as you said, instantly, where before there was a bit of a lag, wasn't there? There was like a time period you had to, had to wait for. How has that changed the office having all this good technology upgrade? Oh, it's great. We can get that done for you in a matter of minutes. It'll depend on how much is actually, because it goes from us to the Secretary of State, how much of a backlog she has around the state for normal elections how fast it gets back to me and then to the polling location. But for right. this little election, it should go pretty quick, 10, 15 minutes at the most. Oh, heck. That's, so it just wow. goes right along. That's amazing. That's a huge Another reason you need to vote. That's right. That's right. And, you know, let's see what happens here with this special. But I, I'm, I'm of the mind that, you know, we need to find a way in our community to just, just get the idea of voting out there you know, as an important part of our, our thinking all the time, not necessarily just before an election comes up, but just as our, part of our civic discussion, uh, it, it, the importance of voting and representation of what that means. Uh, would you support something like that, that like that, oh, just yeah. a continuing education? Actually, we now, because of new legislation a couple of years ago, we now have an election every November. This right. November is the real local election. It'll have the mayor, the city councilors, a MAFCA, CNN, APS, bond issues. Every nonpartisan election will happen this November. Mm -hmm. So every November, we will either have a nonpartisan or a partisan election. So people kind of need to get in the routine of this. This November, we'll be voting. That's right. That's and right. it's really made it a lot easier all the way around. You don't have them scattered all over. That's a good point there too. That's that actually it, it makes a point. Uh, that was always the gripe with uh, school board elections mm -hmm. since they were off cycle, so to speak. The turnout just wasn't as as good as it could be. Um, are you seeing any uptick in numbers or take rate, so to speak, for the recent? We just had our deadline yesterday for requests for ballots. Any sense of how vigorous that it was this time around? Well, we have accepted, we mailed out as of yesterday afternoon at five o'clock, 23,713 absentee ballots. So far, we have received back 14,646. So we still have half of them to get back. So I hope people will do that. Now, if you decide you don't want to vote with your absentee ballot, you can, don't take your ballot, but you can go into a polling location and say, I have received a ballot, but I want to vote in person. They'll print out a form that you say you're not going to use the ballot that you were issued. They'll issue you a new ballot and you can vote right then. That's interesting. I didn't realize that myself. That's uh, you've got it covered both ways from Sunday there, whether you have your yeah. interesting. Okay. Um, it, it, in the time we have to the 29th before the, before the vote, that the amount of ballots that are outstanding for mail-in, do you have a sense of the percentage you're anticipating to come in? Is, is there a, 20% more, you, you think, 10% more? I think probably even a little higher than that. Okay. If you requested a ballot, most people will vote it. We will they, have some. We still are getting them every day where people have decided to vote in person. I don't care. <laughs> just, do it, just do it. But right. I expect we'll get a good 30 to 40% of those back. Mm -hmm. You well, can I take have a last question for you. Location and put it in a ballot box. 
Mm -hmm. That's convenient. That's convenience for sure. Madam Clerk, there's been a lot of efforts across the country um, to have voting a little more difficult than it should be for some folks liking. I'm curious where you are on, the, on this issue. Uh, we don't have that problem, not necessarily here in New Mexico terribly, but you know, the winds of politics are funny. They could change at any, any given moment. I'm curious about your, your opinion on, on some of the efforts you're seeing going across. I mean, there's, there's legislation in 38 states currently. To have you've noticed, so there's not any real big legislation being done in New Mexico. We mm -hmm. have paper ballots. We have close, uh, we don't ever get on the internet. We have a closed cycle that goes to most of the Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. We are probably one of the more secure states in the United States for our elections. Uh, Maggie Caloose Oliver has done a really good job on securing uh, infrastructure for us. Well, like the same day registration, it's on a closed network. So we are fortunate in this state. And if you just follow the legislation we've got, we're gonna have good clean elections. There's gonna be hiccups. I don't care where you go, you'll find something that's gonna mm -hmm. be out of whack. But on the large majority, all of our elections have come out really clean. This last one was exceptionally clean and it was a pandemic and it was the largest one Bernalillo County had ever had. Wow. But with all the stuff in place, we just shine like a new star. I was real proud. Congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. It worked out. It was quick too. Yeah. The results were super fast. So absolutely. Yeah, we're okay. good. <laughs> hey, hey, I say shine. Absolutely. When something ha is good happening in New Mexico, let's let folks know let's about do it. it. Absolutely. Take that glitter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Madam Clerk, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank and you. good luck with everything. We'll, we, we know you're working hard on this, no doubt. And folks, again, I'm trying. Vote. I'll see you for the November election, Gene. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again. And we'll wrap things up on this episode of New Mexico in Focus with another bonus segment. We've done this the last couple weeks, but every week when we are taping for the show with the line panel, we always get everybody warmed up and ready to go by doing a one more thing segment where everybody can kind of bring something from the headlines that they've seen or just their personal life observations uh, that we just don't have time for in the show. And we've got a good one for you this week and very wide ranging. We're going to be talking about street racing, something you've seen a lot in the headlines recently. We're also going to be talking about campaign finances. We're going to be talking about the word that came out about um, the overpayment of unemployment benefits that was uh, uh, released through the news this week, $250 million, it's estimated, that was overpaid or made through fraudulent claims and what the state's going to be doing with that. Also, another election. Uh, this one's one you may not be aware of, but it has huge implications. That's the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District. So a lot of great information for you here. I want to share that with you before we go. So once again, we'll head back to the line opinion table. Crystal Ciarza, always good to have you. What's your one more thing this week? Well, um, uh, the topic of street racing has been something in the community for quite some time. And I figured this would be a really fun topic for the both of us to talk about, <laughs> especially being the voice of the Albuquerque Dragway, right, Gene? <laughs> well, I am, but it's not a fun topic, unfortunately. <laughs> street racing. <laughs> well, and, and I think um, I, I've seen some of the social chatter that you, you and I do share in the same mindset. It's that mm -hmm. it's obviously safer um, if we're going to places that are in a controlled environment. And yes, there might be shows like Street Outlaws on 
on the Discovery Channel that might be really fun and fascinating. But environments like that are still very much controlled. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I do appreciate the fact that the community leaders are looking at ways uh, to keep our streets safer, especially because drag racing can obviously um, end it catastrophic catastrophically and lose lives. Um, but I find it really fascinating that the young community now, it's just an ongoing topic, right? Yep. Um, back in high school, we had Montgomery. Um, even before then, you know, you still have the areas of Balloon Fiesta Park, mm -hmm. people off-roading. And and I understand that there's a big responsibility that all all of us have to have when it comes to street racing. But um, especially when it comes to car owners, we, we have to think about it. It's what's more important, our lives or our cars? And definitely our lives are more important. Mm -hmm. But let's be real. We still love our cars to a, to a very big amount, especially depending on what kind of horsepower, what kind of drivetrain you have, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so. Well said, well said. I, I couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a problem. The community is trying to wrestle with it. I, I give the Keller administration a little bit of props there and, and, and new chief Medina, they're trying something, but as we saw in some of the news reports, they're really not handing out a lot of tickets, are they, after a big, uh, big opening to do about this. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Thank you for What's that topic, out? though, that's for sure. Dave Mulryan, always good to see you, my friend. What's your one more thing this week? My one more thing is usually something related to voting, but we're going to be covering that in one of the segments. So I'm going to go to my second favorite topic, which is finance, which is mm. the thing that people know less than about voting is about finance. And um, the AP had a story. The governor and her team have raised $19 billion from the CARES Act and the various programs. Now, let's put that in context. The overall um, New Mexico state budget is about $6.5 billion. She has almost tripled the amount of money that is going to be available. And I'm going to encourage everyone, do not be afraid. These programs, the New Mexico legislature, God bless them, has appropriated $500 million for small business. Mm -hmm. The websites are up. They are running. Um, you can go to my website, everybody-vote.org. I have a li the links for the New Mexico programs. The Small Business Administration has appropriated money that they are still looking to give out. And I would just, and the Bernalillo County rent program is available. Um, this is not, per, this is not an illusion. This money is available. It's sitting in an account somewhere. If you are a small business person, you have to apply. I mean, if we, if we do some crude numbers. $20 billion coming into a state of 2 million people is about $10,000 a person. Mm -hmm. It's transformative if we do it correctly. And if the politicians make sure that the people who can put it to good use are, make, are careful about getting it to them. And I think it's a tremendous thing that they've done here. I think it's transformative when you start talking about this type of money. I really do. Dave, I do have a question uh, regarding the headlines we saw this week about the amount of fraud that yes. was uh, let out and are you concerned with how we let out 20 you know i can't even say the word yes. you know i mean there's an opportunity right. for a lot of problems here and Didi, i'd like you to weigh in on this one too when i go to you in a second but dave right. you're concerned well, mm -hmm. yes well, I mean, yes, you have to be concerned when there's a huge amount of money available. Certainly there's going to be some amount of attempted fraud, mm -hmm. but I think that, you know, we have to rely on sort of the guardrails of democracy. You know, we have a state auditor, you know, we have like some very smart people that are in charge of these programs. <laughs> and I don't think that the goal is, you know, 
to let the fraud happen. And, you know, I think it's very, we have to be very careful. Yet, when you look at the websites and when you look at the sort of the paperwork that's required for you to get these loans and grants, it's fairly substantial. I mean, mm-hmm. they're looking for federal income tax returns. They're looking for your state sales reports. So <coughs> I don't have uh, any doubt that there's going to be, you know, somebody who's going to attempt to do things that they shouldn't. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there is still a very large amount of capital available, and we should concentrate on putting a lot of it to good use. Mm-hmm. Dave, I'm going to chime in really quickly, Please. though. You know, sure. I've been working with Asian businesses on the Asian Business Collaborative. A lot of them haven't been applying of this simply right. because of literacy and comprehension. So I would, yes. I would challenge our state government to make sure that whenever they're distributing these funds, there's right. proper assistance uh, on top of the loan and the loan opportunities right. because to, to many of the underserved and underutilized businesses that are out there, they don't see the value in these because right. they simply can't get through um, right. for, get through the application process. But I would challenge all of us to close the technology gap. If you know a small business person who is in an underserved and they really don't have access to a computer or they don't understand what they need to do, it is incumbent upon all of us to reach out and to help. We have got to close the technology gap. That is a big problem. And I think one that I do agree with you that the politicians should address. They should open help centers so that people could go down there and use the technology that they need to get to these things. Um, because investing a little bit of money to make sure that we close the technology gap cannot be a bad thing. I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Didi, I'm you know, curious. I think, Good. Mm-hmm. I think uh, smart legislators are helping their constituents get these loans. Um, I've seen a number of um, uh, websites in which the um, representatives or the senators are teaching people how to do it. You know, I think what's different about this round of um, loans and grants is that because of the pandemic, the burden is on the government to get the money out there fast. And when, and, you know, we saw this about the um, unemployment uh, and the unemployment uh, benefits that came out very fast and some of it was too much and there was fraud involved. But remember, they had to hire, I think, between one and 200 new employees, train them in order to just simply get all this money out there quickly while it was needed. Mm -hmm. So I sympathize somewhat with state government in doing this. Interesting point there. Um, There's going to be lots of answers because there's lots of questions for that workforce development situation. But moving on from that, Didi, do you have another uh, issue for your one more thing today? Yeah, Mm -hmm. well, my eye this week is on the uh, Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District, Mm -hmm. which is holding elections uh, on June 8th uh, for their board members in Albuquerque and in Socorro. You know, the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District is a little known uh, water authority, but very important. It stretches all the way from Peña Blanca in the north down to Socorro. Oh, wow. And it uh, not only governs irrigation in the valley, but it also is the keeper of the bosque. Uh, it cooperates to protect endangered species. And what what is happening now with climate change and uh, drought is that, you know, the water allocations are becoming more and more difficult. And the board has to figure out 
um, how to do water sharing and still deliver the water that we owe Texas mm -hmm. down at the state line. So it's a very tough job. Um, fortunately, in the past couple of years, the Conservancy Board has really stepped up. And now um, it used to be a very backward kind of agency. Nobody knew about the elections. You have to be a property owner. Mm -hmm. They were the best kept secret uh, in the state. Uh, I think about 98 people voted once in one election. They're off season. They're, they're um, you know, nobody knows about them but they're very important, um, and especially now. Mm -hmm. The board has done a good job. Now they have uh, two hydrologists on the board, lawyers, uh, two planners, rec one of them a recreation planner because, of course, in the, um, in the Bernalillo County area, the bosque and the ditches uh, provide recreational opportunities that people are using even more mm -hmm. uh, during the during the pandemic. And so the district has been cooperating with the city and the county and other agencies. It didn't used to do this. It used to be just really the um, the the agency that always said no. Right. And now it, now it is the agency that is cooperating and that is setting an example. And the incumbents that are on the board. Uh, were once the reformers, and now they have taken this agency into uh, into a new era. Isn't that something? It's thank you for doing that. It's important to pay attention to this group. There's no doubt about it. Who's on it? Who's on the board? What their philosophy is? Because the impact is tremendous for all of us. Like well, you, mentioned. you know, you can go to their website at www.mrgcd.org mm -hmm. and figure out where the um, polling places are. Um, early voting starts on Monday, and I really encourage people to vote because your vote counts so much in these low turnout elections. That's right. And uh, it's, it's real important uh, when it comes to water. Yep. MRGDC.org. MRGCD. MRGCD. Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District. MRGCD.org. Good stuff there. Alrighty, that'll do it for this episode, but want to keep you in uh, the loop for an upcoming episode we'll have early next week with more from this week's show, which included an in-depth interview with Senator Ben Ray Lujan. First time we've had him in the In Focus uh, ecosystem since he became a senator, and he's got a lot of things on his plate that he wants to get done as the freshman senator from New Mexico now, jumping over from the House to the Senate. So... Uh, Russell Contreras, our correspondent, who just recently signed on with Axios, sat down with him over Zoom. It's a great conversation, covers everything from immigration reform to broadband to uh, the downwinders in Tularosa and trying to make reparations to those folks from what happened in the development of the atomic bomb down in southern New Mexico. So be on the lookout for that as well as a story from our environmental correspondent, Laura Paskus. It's a follow-up to a segment we did a couple years ago about new changes in the guidelines from the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, that uh, really loosen regulations on some of our most important waterways, the intermittent streams, ephemeral streams as they're called, uh, that are especially valuable to a lot of tribal communities, and two tribes have actually filed suit 
over those changes to try to get the restrictions and the regulations tightened back up to protect these important waterways. So we'll have all of that and more for you coming up. uh, Should be on Monday. So be looking for that. Be listening for that. And spread the word about the podcast. We really appreciate it. Let us know what you think about it. And again, be sure to keep up with the show throughout the week on all of our social media platforms, whether you are on Instagram, Twitter's Your Jam, Facebook, YouTube, we're in all those places and we'd love to hear from you. So until then, have a great weekend and be sure to stay safe and stay healthy.